coming in as Bloom. Hillendike centered it. And the scores! Eddie McDonald! And over at that play bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there. Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing flame. Yankers put it in the wind column. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour is underway. It's Wednesday, May 3rd with Aaron Vickers. It is Pat Steinberg and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Flames Talk coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, Vix. What's going on, buddy? Uh, by the way, last week, uh, last week that we have Vickers with us for a little while. Sad. Kind of, but also I'm happy for you because oh. you're off to the world champion. I'm glad you said because of. Otherwise, if you just left it with, I'm happy, would have been a little awkward. Yeah. I'm happy for I'm happy still, for you to be going to the world champion. I'll still dial in every once in a while. I'll drop you a text on the text line just to... We'll get you on from... Say how you doing. So are you going to spend most of your time in Latvia or Finland or split? Uh, It's split. I'm going to be spending the... Well, I leave Sunday, then go straight to Riga, then Riga to Finland. Around the 18th, the tournament goes to the 29th. So a little tiny mini vacation, then jump right into the tournament and then just keep going, keep going, keep going. Nice. That'll be fun. And uh, you'll be the official Flames Talk World Championship correspondent. I've already... uh, I've already named you that. Nobody can steal that title from you. I'm pretty sure I dubbed that when when we had that breaking news like two weeks ago. Okay. Well, then I agree with your characterization of yourself. I'm so glad. Um, There's going to be a lot of things affected now that Daryl Sutter is no longer head coach of this team. We talked a little bit about this on Tuesday's edition of Flames Talk. Just off the top of my head, the atmosphere inside that room, the style the team plays, the usage of young players, which I think is really important. And maybe most importantly, the retention of key players. These are all things that I think will be affected positively, mostly positively, I think, now that Daryl Sutter is no longer the head coach of the team. This was uh, NHL insider Frank Saravalli with us on Tuesday's Flames Talk and, and diving into the whole idea of player retention and getting key players to stay now that Daryl Sutter is gone. You know, in talking to various people around the league that have connections to Calgary, um, you know, the sentiment was any trade requests that were out there or demands, so to speak, have been rescinded now that there's been a coaching change. So that, I think, opens the door for some players that might have been hesitating to eventually re-sign. So who's the first name that comes to mind when you Elias hear that? Yeah, me too. Without a doubt. Yeah. He was so noncommittal in his exit interview. And I don't know if it was three times, four times, two times, but when asked about the possibility of signing an extension, which he's eligible to do on July 1, I've just got one more year. One more year, one more year, one more year. You hear that, and it that was all in a span of like 20 words, he said. It was a very short answer, very short clip. But if you're a member of the Calgary Flames management, if you're a fan whoever you are, you hear that from your number one center yep. who's in the prime of his career coming off of what would what is very much a bargain contract going, he just thinks he needs to survive one more year? Yep. What happens after one year? Freedom. So the fact that listening to that clip, you asked me the question, who comes to mind first? 
hundred percent alive. Yeah, me too. Uh, and, and look, it's, it's, that's part of the reason why throughout the year, when we talked about Elias Lindholm's future, you know, I, I had spoken numerous times about how, you know, the feel organizationally is that kind of uncertain as to whether or not Elias wanted to be back and whether there was an appetite there for a long-term contract extension that had been, that's been out there for a little while. And, you speculated as to whether or not that was a Daryl thing because there was a lot of talk about different veterans not seeing eye to eye, not just the two newcomers that we talked about a lot, but other veterans on this team not seeing eye to eye with with Coach Sutter. So, yeah, there, there's definitely been for quite some time kind of a uncertainty as to where Lindholm sits and what his desire is to re-sign. And I think part of that unquestionably was tied to Daryl Sutter in his future. Now that that has been decided and Daryl is no longer a part of the organization, okay, well, now what? I wonder, like, I really wonder how much better of an opportunity you have in re-signing Lindholm now than you did prior to Monday. And nothing has changed for me in terms of the way that I would approach things with Lindholm. I think I would approach things the exact same thing, exact same way, and I would approach it in that re-signing him is the number one priority and full court press and all that type of stuff. But now you can go to him and say, Elias, we moved on from the coach, and we did that in part because we believe that the relationship between you and the coach was not where it needed to be. We've moved on. We want you to be a part of this thing. I think you can even go more full court press in trying to get Lindholm to sign this summer. Well, and that's going to be, if not, head coach will be number one, but number two through number six, seven, eight, and whichever way you want to number it, as a new GM coming in, you need to talk to Elias Lindholm. You need to talk to Michael Backlund. You need to talk to Tyler Toffoli, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov, get a sense of where they are moving forward. Because now, as you mentioned, the atmosphere around Scotiabank Saddledome is going to be quite different heading into the 2023-24 season. And you need to know where these pending unrestricted free agents now lie, what they think about the team, what they think about the direction, what they think about the new coach, and whether or not they want to be around for longer than one season. Because you now you've got to do your due diligence, see who wants to be here, who might still want to explore free agency, whether that's, and it's their right to explore free agency once they get there, regardless of if it was a coaching issue or just a change of scenery, family reasons, whatever it is. But now you've got to go to each one of those players and and figure that out. And I found it interesting, that clip with Frank Sarvelli, rescinding trade requests. So that means there were requests out there at the end of the season. I don't want to be here if this coach is here. This is my request. I'm now taking that off the table because I'm curious about what happens next with the franchise. And I think Lindholm, you would slot that. I would think he would be one that you saw one of those. I think to a degree, Michael. And again, these were the guys that were most vocal in their exit interviews with media. I believe, I believe Michael back in the last two summers prior to this one. So summer last year, summer, two years ago, um, there had been at the very least conversations had about a change of scenery. Uh, I think there was a trade request on the table a year ago. And I certainly understand that one. If you're 33 at the time and you lose two of your top three players, and you're seeing your window to win close, but then you go out and get Nazem Kadri, you go make that trade, Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, 
I can understand how that one comes off the table because you believe in what you have exactly. on the roster. And the summer before, I don't think it was a straight up trade request, but I think it was more of a there's a different if there's a different place, if there's a change of scenery that we'd be open to that. I think was was kind of the conversation two years ago, and may, maybe that still applies now. Maybe that that's on the table again. I don't know, but again. Backlund being non-committal, I wonder if Daryl Sutter. He remember he said, "I'd like to see what happens. I'd like to see where this team goes before making my decision." I wonder now, and new general manager, new head coach, probably play into it for both Lindholm, Backlund, and any other number of guys that you're thinking about re-signing if you're the Flames. But I do wonder Lindholm being at the very top of the yes. list when it comes to retention, how much this changes things and. I think that this gives it a much better chance that you can re-sign Lindholm and a much better chance that you can make some really positive steps to signing him this summer. I think it opens up a fresh conversation that you wouldn't have been afforded otherwise. And yes, there's going to be a second straight summer of uncertainty for the Calgary Flames. This one is a little bit different, though, in the fact that you're not replacing and turning over a large chunk of your key players on your roster. You're rebuilding and reshaping what the franchise looks like, what the direction is, what the approach is, how the product on the ice is going to change. And I can see how that can be enticing to a player. You're going to have an actual voice, a seat at the table in determining what the Calgary Flames look like in 2023-24 in terms of the style, in terms of the approach, and in quite literally in terms of the atmosphere because it's it's going to get lighter. I don't... I'm. We talked a lot about player coach versus a hard-ass coach. What direction do the Calgary Flames go? I'm going to lay wager. It's going to be a lot lighter in that room regardless. I 100%. You know, and then you've got your other names that are potential free agents after this year. Um, if you go back to locker cleanout day, kind of the, the power rankings of guys you wanted to stay, who were asked and who didn't, you kind of had Zadorov to Foley at the top. Then you had, and Stetcher at the top, you had Hannafin kind of in the middle. He was, he wasn't like, yes, gave, I re-. gave the expected answer. So he to gave speak. the NHLPA stock answer, yes. which is, yeah, I love it here. And I'd be open to re-signing. Let's see what happens. Um, and then you had Backlund and Lindholm who were kind of on the lower end of the scale, more towards non-committal. And so, I'm curious what it means for Toffoli. Toffoli was one of those guys who said a lot of good things about Daryl Sutter, had the greatest season of his NHL career under Daryl Sutter. I wonder what it means for a guy like Toffoli. Is there, does, does Daryl leaving change his desire the other way? Does it mean that you've got less of a chance to retain a guy like Toffoli with Sutter count? I don't know. I honestly, these are just questions that I'm answering, asking aloud rather, because I think it's fascinating to see what this means for the direction of the organization. And probably you don't have a definitive answer on some of them until you know who the new GM or maybe more importantly, who the new head coach is going to be. Well, yeah, you want to know who your boss is, who your direct boss is. I mean, there's going to be certain layers of tiers of bosses and certainly the GM is going to be your boss. President of hockey operations is going to be your boss. But the guy you're in direct contact with day in, day out, sharing the ice in practice, being on the plane with is going to be that head coach. You need to sort that out from a Flames organization standpoint, who that coach is going to be. But also from the player standpoint, you're super curious as to who's going to be your new general. Because if you like that person, chances are you're going to stick around. If it's somebody that maybe you don't care for as much, maybe you go. It's the exact same scenario with Daryl Sutter behind the bench. If Daryl Sutter comes back, 
chances are it diminishes the likelihood of certain players returning. And on the flip side, certain players might want to stay playing for Daryl Sutter. So it's a lot of ins and outs in that sense. But if you're a pending unrestricted free agent in 14-ish months' time, you're going to want the answers to these questions. And honestly, I would engage Elias. Like Elias Lindholm is the number one priority personnel-wise this summer. And I would absolutely engage him on coaching candidates and what type not not so much like running coaching candidates by him like Elias what do you think of uh play, uh coach West A? Gilbertson. What do you think of coach B what less about that but more about what do you think this team needs what type of coach characteristics you is going to I, I think engaging him is another good way in in trying to convince him to stay because to me there are two scenario there are two realistic scenarios you sign him to the long-term deal or you trade him prior to next year's deadline. And I think the preferable scenario every time is re-signing him, but I don't think it makes any sense to let him walk for nothing. So I think trading him this summer is the most sensible time to do it if you can't re-sign him. But now you've got more ammo to re-sign him. You've got, they fired head coach because of, in a lot of ways, what they heard from players, and we believe including Lindholm, you engage Lindholm on the the coaching conversation. You offer him the type of deal that he deserves, and and give him that seven or eight years between eight and nine million, which is what the going rate for a player of Lindholm's caliber is. I, I think you've got a chance of keeping him. I think you've got a much better chance of keeping him now, where then maybe you don't have to go down the road of trading him and putting yourself in a spot where you're looking for the next Elias Lindholm. And if he was one of the players that was vocal and we need a change behind the bench, now by making that move, he knows he's been heard. He knows his teammates have been heard. And if you go to him and say, we're not going to go with names, but what are the top three things you're looking for in a new head coach? When When you want your new boss, he comes through the door. What attributes do you want him to have? You're giving him a seat at the table. You're giving him some buy-in to the situation that you're currently at. You're not just going, here's your new boss. You're listening to him. You're gathering feedback just like you did in exit interviews. Yep. You listen to his feedback then. You give him a seat at the table because if you want him to be here for that eight years, sign that eight-year extension, chances are he's going to want to have some input on what his future looks like, just like anybody would in any walk of life. Now, we're not sitting here signing eight-year deals in our in our work life. We're not signing eight-year packs to be contractors for what we do. But at the same time, you still want to know what the direction of your job is, and that direction yeah. largely comes down from your boss. So you want to know what your boss is, what his philosophy is, before you commit to almost a decade more of being a member of the Calgary Flames. And Michael Backlund turned into that leader in that room, and I think that you engage him on on similar yep. conversations and to a less, or, or to differing extents, other guys too. But... Um. Yeah, I uh, I'm really curious how the whole thing plays out now that Daryl's gone. I want to read you a few texts at nine sixty nine sixty. Pat, yes, Lindholm's the key. If you can't re-sign Lindholm, you have to unload the rest of the guys in order to get the assets to find another top line center, likely via the draft. That comes from Colin. This reads: Hold off on any more long term contracts or extensions. Otherwise, they're too locked into a core that not might not be as united as we're told, and that won't fix the culture. Trade some of the key assets and get for them the max you can to truly retool. Otherwise, I think the Flames continue to be middling. The one guy that I really think would be exempt from that type of conversation is Lindholm to me. You finally found a number one center 
something that this organization hasn't had. You found him in a trade with Carolina. You got him, so keep him. Don't put yourself back in a spot where you're like, who's the number one center of this team? Don't disagree at all. And you might be forced into that position. Maybe Elias Lindholm goes, I appreciate the seat at the table. It's still my right as a player. I've earned this unrestricted free agent status. I'm going to go explore. But at least you've done everything on your end in terms of the due diligence to make him feel welcome, make him feel part of the direction, so on and so forth. Last guy I wanted to talk about is a text from Conrad who says, do you guys think there's any hope in heck that Matt Phillips, he did say heck, I'd say the other word, but he says heck. Uh, Do you think there's any hope in heck that Matt Phillips resigns now that Daryl's gone, even if it's a one-year show-me type contract? That is also one of the more fascinating wrinkles in this whole thing. The future of Matty Phillips, who scored the last goal the Calgary Wranglers scored. Uh, That was in overtime of game two on Friday night. I think there is a much larger chance that you can retain Matt Phillips now. Daryl Sutter was the number one roadblock to Phillips playing in the NHL. Not the only roadblock. We know his size, all that type of stuff. But Daryl, plain and simple, Daryl Sutter did not believe Matt Phillips was an NHLer. That, I don't think that we are mincing words or dancing around it or talking at a school. He did not believe that Matthew was an NHLer, and that's fine. Daryl's no longer here. I don't know if Matthew Phillips is an NHLer either, but part of my frustration is the fact that I don't know. And you have the opportunity this year to get a better idea, and he played less than 18 minutes in two games. And that, to me, is frustrating. And so I think he will get interest outside the organization. I think there will be teams that offer him opportunities to play. So do the same if you're the Flames. Say, hey, the roadblock is no longer here. We want to see what you can do. You're going to come into training camp with a real opportunity to make the team. And maybe you give them a one-year contract to prove it. Uh, Sorry, a one-way contract to prove it. I think there is. I would have said literally like less than 1% that Matt Phillips is back had they not made the Daryl Sutter move. That goes from like less than 1% to more than 50-50 for me now that Daryl is gone. I think you've got a good chance, and I think that you should try to retain Matthew Phillips. Just like Elias Lindholm in a year from now has the opportunity to explore unrestricted free agency, as is his right in the CBA, Matt Phillips has that same right now, too, by a lack of games accrued. And 17 minutes is not near long enough to determine whether or not Matty Phillips is an NHLer. But you certainly needed to find out this season. The Calgary Flames didn't. And I know it's going to be a new coach, new GM, so on and so forth. But if I'm Matthew Phillips, I am accepting an offer from the Calgary Flames in terms of I'm receiving it, but I'm also going to go to the 31 other teams and see what's out there, and I'm going to find the best fit for Matty Phillips. But, again, I think the door opens wider for return to the Calgary organization simply because Daryl's gone. And then the added wrinkle of, all right, well, what if it's Craig Conroy that's the new GM? Craig Conroy was the man responsible for drafting Matthew Phillips. What if Mitch Love is now behind the bench in some capacity for the Calgary Flames or Ryan Huska? That amplifies it even more so. So I'm not going to put a percentage on it because I think there's too many variables that await to see what happens with the Calgary Flames organization, what happens in the 31 other organizations in terms of how many offers he collects around the league and how many are one ways, what are they valued at, are there two ways, so on and so forth. Where's the best opportunity for me to become a full-time NHLer? But certainly that door is wide open now for the Calgary Flames, whereas before it was cracked maybe just a sliver with Daryl Sutter behind the bench.
Yeah. And I, I mean, I even go back to, uh, you know, Ryan Huska was the head coach of the Stockton Heat or the um, Adirondack Flames for a couple of years, which means that he would have had Matthew Phillips at development camp. So there is a little bit of a familiarity there. Um, so I, I just, I don't know. I think that I, there's a better chance they could keep him now that Daryl Sutter has departed the organization. Last, last effect that Daryl Sutter's departure might have. We just talked at length there about player retention. What about another issue that was, I don't want to say front and center during the regular season, but was definitely a recurring theme throughout, throughout the regular season? What about the idea of naming a team captain? Here's Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast, which, dro- which dropped Wednesday morning, wherever you get your podcast. And I think another thing that came up was that they need a captain simply because they have to have a buffer between the coach and the group of players. And I, I know there were people who felt this year that not having a captain there kind of affected things. Do you think the Flames should have a captain for next year? Because my answer is absolutely yes. I'm a little wishy-washy on it. I'm not going to lie because I think a lot of it depends on what happens with Michael Backlund. Michael Backlund would be my number one candidate for coach of the Calgary, or coach, pardon me, captain of the Calgary Flames, not coach of the Calgary Flames. It felt like Daryl Sutter felt like he was the captain of the Calgary Flames at times to me. And there was no C put on anybody in the room. And I found that very weird. I understood it the first year without Mark Giordano and you kind of want to see who steps up, who does what. Doing it in year two was kind of puzzling to me. What made it even more puzzling was there were two or three or four instances throughout the year where a visiting team would come in and Daryl Sutter would go, that guy's captain material. It happened with Luke Shannon and it happened with a couple others who I can't think of off the top of my head. But they would come in and he'd be like, oh yeah, that that's a, that's a captain. Well, what, what don't you have in the room that Luke Shen has? So it was kind of weird in that sense. So to circle back to your question of, do you name a captain? I want to know if Michael Backlund signing an extension. If he signs an extension, that extension is coming with the captaincy for me. And then the next person that we heard a lot of this season about being a leader in that room, a lot of the leadership responsibilities were on Backlund and Chris Tanner. One of the other guys, by the way... Uh- Monahan. Monahan, yes. About it. Yes, thank you. I don't know how I got Luke Shannon, not Sean Monahan. Thank you to Mike who's listening. Thank you, Mike. Um, so Chris Tanev and Michael Backlund were quite frequently referred to as as the leaders in terms of guys maybe you put the C on. Well, he's an unrestricted free agent after next season as well. So do you start marching down the list of guys just to put a C on a guy that you know is going to be around? Or maybe you're okay with a, a transitional captain, if you will, who might only be there a year. I don't know necessarily the scenario, but if I know for a fact Michael Backlund won't sign an extension and is going to explore greener pastures, well, then I'm not necessarily sure I want to put it on Michael Backlund. Yep. Chris Tanev would be a similar scenario. So you just kind of go down the list a little bit. I don't, looking, I don't want to name one for the sake of naming one. I'd be looking at somebody who's potentially a little younger, but definitely somebody that you know is going to be part of the core long-term. So... Backland, yes, if he wants to resign, absolutely. Lindholm, same thing. But the guy that, well, there's a couple. There's two that come to my mind that are in it for the long term and I think would be really good fits. Both play on the blue line. Rasmus Anderson and Mackenzie Weger. Those are the two for me that I'm like, 
they should get some real consideration. Rasmus has turned into one of the real spokespeople of the Flames. He comes out, win or loss, tells it like it is. He uh, Again, I remember after the Chicago loss, which all but ended their season, nobody gave more than like 90 seconds post-game inside that room. And there I was with this file. I'm like, did it? Did somebody just like forget to hit record, uh, stop, hit stop? Nope. It was six and a half minutes of Rasmus Anderson talking honestly. I think there's value to that, and I think he's well-respected inside that room. And Mackenzie Weger is fiery. He competes like nobody else. On the ice, there are so many Mark Giordano comparisons for me. And then I think he commands a room. Like I think he is the type of guy that when that guy walks in, there's a presence to Weger. He speaks very passionately with us. I don't think there's any hesitation for him to speak up inside that room. So I really wonder about Uyghur. I really wonder about Rasmus as potential captains for this team going forward, especially knowing that the futures of guys like Backlin, Lindholm, uh, Tanev. The full even. They hang in the balance a little bit more. So when you said there were two guys, I immediately wrote down number four. And then I showed my work. Yeah. I, ma- I made sure that I didn't cheat on that one. And it was funny that you mentioned Mackenzie Weger too, because we only get the glimpse of Mackenzie Weger other than what we see on the ice and his passion, his direction, things like that. So, well, we only see what he gives us when we're in scrums and talking. He's very candid, very honest, takes ownership. So it's funny when you said those two, because both those guys were on my Peter Mark good guy award ballot. Oh, nice. I could, I could certainly see a justification for either of them having a letter and particularly the C. I think it's time. I, I, do, I do not think that they should go captainless for another season or even to start another season. Whether you name it in the offseason, like in the summer, whether you wait until the end of training camp, there should be somebody wearing a C next season for the Calgary Flames. Two seasons is enough. Uh, I think it's uh, it's time. It's Pat and Vickers along with you. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio on a Wednesday. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time to go inside hockey this hour for Calgary Co-op with new product families, member rewards, and sale events. You'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op. We say hello to our Pacific Division insider from NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. We say hello to Jonathan Davis right now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hello, J.D. Pat, how are you? I'm well. We uh, we officially have a Pacific Division team in the Western Conference Final. We don't know which one it's going to be. Maybe there will be two, but we know there will be at least one Pacific Division representative in the West Final this year. Breaking news! Wow, that, that's that's pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't think you know. I think before the season started, people would have said, "Yeah, I don't think so, Pat. You don't know what you're talking about." But uh, I mean, it's it's been uh, it was a remarkable season, and we're seeing what's taken place, obviously with Seattle, and 
you know, continue to be the surprise. And, and it was it was one hell of a hockey game last night. Uh, I didn't. I thought it was going to go a lot longer than it did, but uh, still, you know, Seattle five and Pavelski four was. A lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We'll get to Seattle in a second, but I want to start with the one team that has now been eliminated in the Pacific Division. There were four Pacific teams that made it. Los Angeles, Edmonton, Vegas, and Seattle. Three of those teams are still playing in round two, but Los Angeles eliminated in six games against the Edmonton Oilers, and that's two straight first-round exits for the Kings, seven and six games, both against the Oilers. How do you uh, how do you rate the totality of this season for LA when you take a look at what the Kings accomplished, what the Kings did did? How do you look at their entire season? Well, I, I think that if you if you take a look just and say that they you know that they made the playoffs again and yeah, it's disappointing. You know, you, you always like to at least try to win a. I mean that it's not terrible, but look, they pushed a lot of chips in. Of the previous off season and during the season, you know, you go out and you acquire Kevin Fiala, and then you make the trades to get Gavrikov and Corpusalo. Uh, you're, you know, you're not trusting your prospects. You don't feel they're ready. Uh, and now you kind of finish the season with some of the same questions that you had at the end of last off season, where, you know, Rob Blake's biggest need was a left shot defenseman, and the likelihood of him being able to re-sign Gavrikov is not very high because, you know, I don't think they pay him more than what Mikey Anderson gets, which is around $4 million a year. And, you know, Rob Blake, you know, said it at the exit meetings that, you know, they are, you know, Gavrikov, he, he, he's confident will get more than, you know, what the Kings can pay him. So, you know, they, they have questions. They're, they need Quinton Byfield to, to be the number three center next year. Um, and if Quinton Byfield is the number three center, then they're going to need someone to play on the top line. And is that a guy like Arthur Kaliev, who has been, you know, knocking on the door and keeps getting, you know, the door closed? So they're hoping that Kaliev can fill, you know, a top six role for them. Uh, but they, you know, they've got moves they're going to have to make because of where they are with the cap. You know, it's either Trevor Moore or Alex Ayafalo will be wearing a different uniform next year. It just doesn't make sense for them to be able to keep both players. They're both making, you know, in that $4 million range. It's just they're the same player. Uh, you've got to figure out the goaltending situation. You know, Cal Peterson, you know, it's a $5 million salary that's playing in Ontario. Didn't really have a great playoff. He didn't have, obviously, a good regular season, and that's why he found himself in Ontario. So there's a lot of questions with this team. And I'll be honest with you, Pat, this, this may sound like a radical and, and crazy idea, but I think where this organization is at and with, with what they've got on the blue line, if they could, I really think it would make sense for them to move Drew Doughty. And I say that because they just need to acquire more assets. And, you know, Drew, unfortunately, was just, look, he's a minutes muncher. He's solid, but he's not a difference maker anymore. But that $11 million price tag it would make it very tough. You've kind of been talking about this for a few years, kind of the idea of are you going to go all in with Kopitar and Dowdy where they are and on their contracts, 
or are you going to think about moving so moving both of those guys? And here they are. They've made the playoffs both years. I also wonder a little bit about Kopitar, who had a great year, but he's 35 and his one year left. He's, you know, we saw Patrick Kane in a very similar situation move to the Rangers um, in at this year's trade deadline. Is Kopitar a guy that they could think about moving? No. I well, yes, they could, but he'll finish his he'll finish his career wearing an L.A. Kings uniform. I, I think that uh, that is one player that will forever be linked to this organization. Uh, I just, I, I don't see it. I, I really don't see it. And, Pat, to be honest with you, you know, they don't have, you know, if Quinton Byfield doesn't become the player that they, you know, they need him to be, you know, they're, they're weak at, they could be weak at center without Anze Kopitar. Right. No, fair enough. Um, I just I wanted to throw it out there because he's entering the final year of his contract, so uh, I'm glad I did. Uh, Jonathan Davis with us. That's the King story with our Pacific Division Insider, NHL Network and NHL Network Radio. Um, I asked this uh, I asked this to my co-host Aaron Vickers last hour. I'm curious your thoughts on this. How much does this Seattle Kraken team give you vibes of the Vegas Golden Knights in year one, just in terms of the way they play, the way they're built, all, everything. Do, do you get similar vibes from this Seattle team? Well, I understand the comparison just because of, you know, where, where they are, you know, in their history, just being year two. But, you know, you, you take a look at the players that they've, you know, that they've acquired and, um, you know, it's you know you've got guys you've got seven guys that have what been in the Stanley Cup final before. Vegas didn't have that. Um, I I think it's a little different, and I think the you know the the big difference with Seattle this year, Pat. I go back to a conversation I had with John Forslund, their their broadcaster, early in the year, and he he really feels that one of the biggest differences for them this year as compared to last year is that you know you were still dealing with COVID last year, and there were you know players couldn't you know, hang out together. They didn't get to know each other that first year. That changed this year. Mm-hmm. They got, you know, they really became a team. And he, you know, he said early on, you know, it just, it, 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 and then we're talking about a conversation that took place in January, you know, not a conversation, you know, that's, that happened, you know, two or three weeks ago or, you know, closer to the playoffs. So I think that that, that it, it's a different situation I just think the experience level's a lot different. You know, they, they made some, you know, some very shrewd, whether it be a trade, you know, the Oliver Bjorkstrand trade, or, you know, getting Tolvin in off of waivers. It's been a little different. Um, you know, Philip Grubauer's had a bounce-back year that, you know, he didn't have last year. You know, that Golden Knights team, right off the bat, mm-hmm. you know, was knocking down the doors. It took this team a little longer. You and both, both, both of you shot down my comparisons. So I feel defeated. I feel <laughs> defeated, and I will take my lumps. Um, that being said, that's a resilient group, man. Like the they had an opportunity to wrap up game uh, in game six against Colorado at home, and they got dominated. Like the Avalanche looked like the Cup champs in game six. 
What do they do? They go back to Denver and they do an incredible job in Game 7. They move on. Then they weather the early storm from Dallas. They score the three goals in less than a minute. They've got a 4-2 lead. And then Joe Pavelski happens to him. And Pavelski scores four to tie the game. What do they do? Yanni Gord wins it in overtime. You want to talk about a team that can take a punch. How about the Seattle Kraken? They, it is tough to keep them on the mat. Yeah, and they've done it without Jared McCann for, you know, a number of games right now. Look, you go back to the series against Colorado. You know, if you take a look at the whole season, regular season and playoffs, Seattle, Colorado, Seattle gave up two goals or less in eight of their ten meetings against Colorado. Pretty darn impressive. They had, what, 16 players or yeah, 16 players with points, 15 players with goals in round one. Last night it was five different players scoring all, you know, scoring five goal, all five goals, and I think it was 11 players with points. It's been their recipe. Their their depth has been the key for them throughout the year and it's continued into the playoffs. And, you know, look, Philip Grubauer is probably, you know, you, you take a look at his, his regular season numbers, the greatest, you know, uh, increase in, or, or improvement from playoffs to regular season. You know, look, Pat, we've talked about it a couple of times. Said to you before the playoffs started, he had to be their best player. He's been really darn good. What a save percentage! Nine twenty-one last night's four goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they they haven't changed their mo. Uh, they're they're a team that that truly rolls four lines, and and you know, nobody plays less than ten minutes of ice time. So it really is a group of eighteen guys out there every night. Um. Let's move to the final series involving the Pacific Division. That's Vegas-Edmonton, which starts Wednesday night at T-Mobile Arena, then plays Saturday. We thought Friday, then they moved it to Saturday for strange reasons. Um, what what jumps out at you at this series? Is, it, is that what it was? I thought that they... I, th- I don't know what it was. I think... I, I, yeah. What jumps out at you in this matchup? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oilers and Vegas. Like, what are the... What are the things that intrigue you the most when it comes to some of the key matchups between these two teams? Well, I mean, look, Vegas or Vegas was only 59% on the penalty kill against Winnipeg. Let's remember that Edmonton was 56% on the power play against LA. Uh, you know, that that's something that, you know, they they've got to stay out of the box. I mean, L, Vegas torched them on the power play if I recall during the regular season, or Edmonton, you know, torched Vegas on the power play in the regular season. So, you know, you're not going to want to be getting, you're not going to be wanting to trade goals. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Vegas, I think Edmonton scored four goals in every game, or maybe there was one game where they where where they only scored three. I think they may have lost four three, but the other games were four three wins and a seven four win. I mean, I, I just, you know, Vegas has has been. So impressive. They, they they really do a great job of limiting chances. They did that really well against Winnipeg. I just don't see them being able to do it against Vegas. They they couldn't, or against Edmonton, they couldn't do it Vegas against them during the regular season. I'm not sure how much of that changes. I just don't think it's a, a great matchup for them. Uh, and while I think both teams are better, I, I just, I, I think that, you know, Vegas or Edmonton is still at least one goal better on most nights. Uh, and it's surprising, you know, here, the first place team in the conference is a prohibitive underdog. I know. Into the series. I think Vegas, 
I think Edmonton was like a minus 165 favorite in, in the series. Uh, that's pretty interesting for a team that doesn't have home ice. Agreed. It kind of goes to the whole conversation that you've been talking about all year and kind of the lack of respect that Vegas has gotten. And here they are again, the number one seed, and yet uh, a big-time underdog heading into this series against the Oilers. Great stuff, as always, J.D. Appreciate it, my friend. We'll do it again next week, hey? Yeah, I guess you owe, you owe Aaron and I beers for, you know, you, you lost. I know, I, I lost. I'll take him up I, on I, that I, for I took, sure. I took my lumps. I, I, <laughs> I know when I've been beaten. All right, come out here, Pat. Come on, summer hits. Let's go. I do need. I do need to get back to SoCal, so I'll hit you up for sure next time I'm there. Thanks, JD. Okay. All right, bud. Take care. You too, man. Jonathan Davis is our Pacific Division Insider, NHL Network, NHL Network Radio, and he joined us on uh, the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. And that is our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today as we start to wrap up this hour on Flames Talk. Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. Our producers have been Cam and Taylor. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that'll wrap us up this hour on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key-to-alike system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.